Hi, I'm Tim Sinova, and welcome to Work Shouldn't Suck, a podcast about that. On this episode, it's the end of the decade as we know it. But for Ruffin and me, we actually didn't. Who saw that coming? Now that we figured out why everyone has been posting those 10-year recaps on social media, we're game for our own reflections. For this journey into the past, I'm again joined by podcasting's favorite co-host, Lauren Ruffin. Lauren, how's it going? Hey, it's good. Still uh, on holiday vacation. You've got a nice fireplace behind you. I do. It's really heating up my back. So. Yeah. <laughs> you look a little, you're a little red in the face. <laughs> but we should really do this you know, with a video at some point because this is amazing. We're wasting, the, we're wasting the view. I've got one image that I'll post to okay. show our, our listeners um, what this is like. So yeah, it's the end of the decade. Neither of us saw this coming, but we've decided to go year by year and pick out something that sort of is a memorable highlight or just something to fill the space. So <laughs> uh, we'll let the listeners be the judge at, at uh, what falls into uh, which category there. How did you approach your, your compiling of your top 10 list for the decade? I like did one of my favorite exercises, which is I just pick random dates in my email. I've had the same Gmail account since 2002 or 2003. So there's lots of nuggets of fantasticness in there. All right, let's get going. Yeah, let's do it. You going first or am I going first? So do we want to go one by one? Yeah, let's just take turns, you know? Okay, great. So 2010, start of the decade. What did you pull up? My random email from 2010 was my dad, my dad, like an email scam, where my dad and I had started this charter school. And, you know, it's a board of older people. <laughs> and he apparently got hacked and it said he was like in Mallorca, <laughs> Spain without any money. <laughs> and so it's like, I wake up in the morning to all of these emails from old people being worried about him. I'm like my dad is definitely not in Spain. He is most certainly in Woodstown, New Jersey, where he's been for the last 25 years. <laughs> so that was my random email. But yeah, email scams were, were a whole thing. Yeah. I like that. This, that's the second time I've heard that story. It still is funny uh, as the, uh, the first time. <laughs> all right. So for mine, I decided to flip through all of my photos on my phone starting back in 2010 and pick something that seemed like a highlight from, from the decade. For 2010, I have photos of us moving into our new Fractured Atlas office, which you'll see a theme for how this book ends my decade. It was the first time I, I ever had a chance to like envision like what an office might be like. It was pretty generic though. It looks like an office from 1980s, mm -hmm. 30 years later. That was the first thing that I came to. I had a lot of photos from that office. So it's more um, quantity than quality, I think for 2010, but that was what I picked for 2010. It didn't occur to me to look at photos. That's brilliant. I think, Picking a date and looking at your email is is also brilliant. Yeah, I mean, mine's, my list is such a random hodgepodge of like randomness, you know? <laughs> but, We're only a year in, so. Yeah, okay. No, I have something I have something to do for the next decade. Like actually have like a, an account with photos on it would be a step up for me. Well, in 10 years, we'll come back and I'll do the email and you, you do the photos. Oh, I should also say that 2010 was the year I switched from like government affairs, lobbying, corporate stuff to the nonprofit sector. That was the year it happened. That's nice. Well, and so that also bookends your decade. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Oh, this is why I need you. All right. So that was 2010. What's 2011? 
2011 was a lot of basketball games because I was playing in like four different leagues. So there's a lot of emails about basketball. And the occasional one about volleyball, I don't remember playing in the volleyball league, but apparently I did. (laughs) (laughs) You just played in so many leagues you forgot. I'm a terrible volleyball player and I, I want to, e- I need to email people on that chain to be like, did I ever show up to these games? Like I have no recollection of playing volleyball. Um, and then Netflix getting the red envelope. I was getting emails constantly about what I was getting, what I needed to return and then taking the DVDs over to people's houses to watch a movie. Oh, uh, nice. Remember that? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then it was like, is it the person who had the Blu-ray machine? Nobody I knew had a Blu-ray machine. I had a friend that had a laser disc machine, but all he had were operas to play on it. <laughs> <laughs> so we never we never went over to his house. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you want to watch a six hour opera about somebody pulling a sword out of a tree? Yeah. No. No, no I don't. <laughs> Remember those mini discs? Whatever happened to those? They sounded I mean, they seem like they could have been cool, but they really never took off. They were so much easier to lose than the regular size discs. Yeah, I don't know. I had a mini disc that had my business card on it for a little while when I worked at the Parsons Dance Company. Did you hand it out? Yeah. Okay. It was like the cool thing to do for a year. Huh. New York. Only in New York. You only could do them in the tray disc players, and you couldn't do them in the ones that like inserted in. And oh, so once yeah. those became popular with Apple, it, you know, whatever. Yeah. All right. So a lot of leagues. Um, that's great. And Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. 2011, I have that it was the fifth and final time that I attended the Tour de France. Uh, It used to be a regular, well, for five times, it it was a summer vacation um, to go spectate at the Tour de France. It was the year that I sort of came to realize that it was my disillusionment with elite professional cycling. And if it seems too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true, because that was at the end of the Lance Armstrong where like people were still doing amazing things and it was just getting too tough to believe. So it's still still a great vacation. You just have to ignore (laughs) the drug, the drug scandal, ignore the drug scandal. And that's beautiful. It's like castles in wealthy white men doing drugs in public in plain sight. That's right. (laughs) While everyone picnic picnics along the road. Yeah. So, so quaint. <laughs> All right, so that was 2011, 2012. The Olympics? What? That's all. every Olympic year is like a highlight for me. So you had a lot of emails that included information about the Olympics? Oh yeah. Like watching parties or yeah, like watching parties, like yeah, where are we going to go hang out? Yeah, no, I mean it just I have a, I guess I spent a lot of time thinking about the Olympics that year. There were a lot of emails about the Olympics. That was also the year Katie and I started dating. That was also the year that I got laid off from my first nonprofit job. I didn't know nonprofits laid people off. I thought only corporations did that. <laughs> that's, that's quite the list. Yeah. You're covering a lot of bases on that that year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was, I did, I found a lot of, there was like an email thread that I found in like September of 2012 that like recapped my summer of the Olympics to a friend. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> What were the highlights of that? Talked about Hurricane Sandy, which house that I grew up in slid into the ocean. And so there was a picture on the front page of the Express that day. I just got laid off. So I was had, had a job interview that morning. And then talking about me and Katie and how we'd started dating. So that happened to be the day that I looked at the email I found for that day. That's a great email. Yeah. No, it summarized apparently the entire year. I was done in September. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like, uh, just play this one out for the next yeah. four months. 
what are your Olympic highlights? What do you watch? What do you have to watch for Summer Olympics? I have to watch track and field. Basketball is less interesting. It's like one of the few, like basketball is an option, but it's a little less interesting to me. But for me, it's it's track. How about you? Do you watch the Summer Olympics or are you a Winter Olympics guy or neither? I do. I seem to get really invested in obscure sports, but not every Olympics. I think I usually watch at this point, Winter Olympics more than Summer Olympics. I get invested in Winter Olympics in a way that, I don't know, uh, yeah. summer, summer Olympics don't hold it for me. I got hooked on Winter Olympics last year. Yeah, 2018. Yeah, yeah. I discovered the sport where you're like cross-country skiing for like a million miles and then you have to like do it with a gun and then you have to take the gun off, lay down on the cold ground, <laughs> like shoot at a target and then get back up and ski some more. I got obsessed with that sport. What, who thought, what sort of crazy person said, let me just have these people ski through the woods in a pack with loaded <laughs> guns on their back, lay down on the cold ass ground <laughs> and shoot at targets. That is insane. I could see you getting really into the, actually doing that sport. Oh yeah. When I was 16, if I had known this existed, it would have been all in. It was like me spending like two and a half hours just screaming and laughing at the TV, being like, this is amazing. Why didn't I know this existed? I bet you're going to spend maybe half an hour on the internet trying to find places where you can actually go and do this. And yeah. then that's going to be a, a vacation soon. Yeah. Well, that's the best thing about being in Albuquerque. Like all the outdoor stuff that I want to do here is like around the corner. And I can just go throw knives at a knife throwing range here. I'm like, awesome. I don't have to do it in my backyard anymore where the neighbors got really angry at me downtown. Someone throwing those knives poorly at a wooden board makes a lot of noise. <laughs> yeah, I I might get angry for different different reasons than the noise. Errant knives flying through your backyard. Yeah, yeah. no metal metal slamming against wood at high velocity. Uh, like the metal the the back like the butt of the knife. It's goes so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but my attitude is like as long as I can hit the thing, you could take somebody out with the, with the pointy end or the blunt end. It doesn't matter. <laughs> just throwing them <laughs> oh god all right the olympics great 2012 yeah just on the completely opposite end of that spectrum that was the year my mom died oh so, gosh yeah that's uh, more grieving yeah this is this is the, the point in our the regular point in our episodes where we talk about grief yeah so that's that's about all i'm including for 2012 that's a pretty uh, life-changing experience i have been thinking about it's the holidays so i'm hugging people a lot so I'm thinking about the story you told about how your mom gives, gave great hugs. I've been thinking about someone I've never met way more than is probably normal. You would remember the hug. I love a good hug. All right. So that was 2012, 2013. 2013's pretty short. The email I found reminded me that I was in my first development director job that year and more basketball, still playing a lot of basketball, still probably pretty fit and sexy. Uh, yeah, that's it for me that year. Nice. Still play basketball, still doing development-ish, so. Yeah, not a whole lot. Just a basic year. No elections, no Olympics, no nothing. That's right, just regular emails. Regular odd-numbered year. 2013 was the year I biked uh, 340 miles from my apartment in Manhattan to Canada in two days. Started on the first day with a double century. And wow. that's the first time I've ever biked 200 miles in one day. Wow. That's a thing. The idea was to bike Manhattan to Montreal because the alliteration is great. Montreal, I think where I was going to stop was about 40 miles north of the Canadian border. The first time I tried, it was about 50 degrees Oof. and raining. Mm -mm. And I made it 156 miles from Manhattan to 
Albany and pulled the ripcord. I was stopping every 10 minutes or 10 miles at gas stations to fill up with hot water because it was like just on the verge of being too cold. Yeah. Yeah. 50 degrees and raining is, is pretty miserable in the saddle. The next time it was beautiful. It was one of those days where you wake up at five, you get out on the bike at 5 a.m. and the sun's just coming up and it was like clear skies, no wind. The 200 mile a day, it was actually 202 miles. During the last two miles, a half mile of that, I had to walk because I was going through an unpaved road. Is at that point, like my legs were just cramping. I couldn't get my leg off the bike without it seizing up and I couldn't get it back on without seizing. So it was just this really painful thing, but it was a great day in the saddle. Yeah, that's awesome. I can't imagine going that far and then having to like relearn how to walk like a little baby. You know, like how do you, how do you do that? If you're ever up for a 200 miler, let me know. I, I will, especially now that I have an electric bike, I can do it pretty much any day. <laughs> <laughs> What's so hard about this? What are you complaining about, Tim? But I, you know, made it to Canada, took a picture, hopped in the car, <laughs> call it a day. <laughs> All right, that was 2013. 2014? 2014, from my emails, from what I can tell, I think that was the year that I finally stopped bartending. I bartended like well after I had a well-paying job just because I felt like I needed to get, I needed to keep talking to people, like force myself to be an extrovert kind of. Also, I worked really hard that year. So the organization that I was working for, the National Center of Children for Children and Families, had its centennial celebration, and it was like the entire year. I found the host letter, the host letter that we sent out in like February, and the thing wasn't until October. And that was my entire year was like wrangling a huge, affluent, incredible host committee and fundraising for the thing and doing logistics for the thing. That was just the beast of a year. There was like no sportsmen. I couldn't find any like, did I play basketball? What did I do that year? Like what? <laughs> it was just the centennial. We had people who had been involved with the organization who were still alive, who had been like for like 60 or 70 years. So it was also like, it was like wealthy affluent people. And then like really old people who didn't do emails. So I was doing like house visit, you know, like it was, and they all had their memories that you were, I was trying, I became this like basket of memories for this organization that was like a hundred years old. It was just a lot. <laughs> it was a very busy work year. How were you collecting them? Paper. You know, like paper in my head, in notes, people sending letters. I had a lot of like handwritten letters. What did you do with them? They're probably archived still at NCCF. Were they supposed to be in some book or something? Or Everyone had a memory of the organization. The organization was originally like 140 acres and they sold it. They sold off the land to build the community, like, so the entire community that is North Bethesda now was part of this orphanage, sold Baptist home. And so there are people who were still alive who had bought the plot of land and built their houses in the, in the 40s and 50s, who were still living there, who remembered, who had this long standing relationship with this organization that had these kids living on the grounds. There were kids who had grown up on the grounds who were now in their 50s, 60s, 70s, who remember being there. You know, like, so you do become, like, not like the actual memories. Physically, you became this holder of memories and everybody wanted to be involved and celebrate this thing. But it was like, it was really meaningful. And it was just, I look back at my emails and remember how tired I was that entire year. Like I just worked really, it was like emotionally hard work. It was just a lot. So that's the second oldest Baptist home in the country. It might be the longest continuing. So like the records there, like one of the things that I really wanted to do that I didn't have a chance to do there was to really build out an archive. 
there was just so much stuff that I came across just, you know, I'm not an archivist, but someone, someone should do that. They have pretty meticulous records. There's never been a fire or like a flood or anything. Digitizing that stuff would be amazing. Well, for any of our listeners, yeah, there's a project seriously. there. All right, so that was 2014. My 2014, I have a random collection of things that I find very interesting. So that was the year that I visited Zappos, which was a highlight in itself. I started a daily micro journal that I still continue to this day where I write a one sentence journal entry at the end of my day and sometimes include a photo. And it includes a lot of commas and semicolons to make it one sentence and capture everything for my day. I read Gretchen Rubin's The Happiness Project, and she had mentioned something about that. So I started that. So I still do that. And that was also the year that I got hit by a car on my bike and broke uh, my collarbone with five ribs. So a little bit of everything. In, that in is a little bit of everything. Um, was your collarbone break the most painful break you've had? No, ribs are far okay. more painful. The collarbone was annoying in that until they plated it, it slides back and forth. And every time you moved, you could feel your collarbone slide back and forth because it's not connected to itself. But the ribs by far were the most painful because you breathe, you laugh, you can't sleep. Laying down, you have to sleep sitting up and you can't do anything about it except yeah. just wait. I've heard ribs, but I was talking to someone not too long ago about breaking breaking his collarbone and he's broken a fair number of bones. He said that was like the most annoying, but he's also a basketball player. So I imagine that I'm, you know, I'm using the collarbone. Probably. You know, it's it's also like if you could break one at a time and then compare yeah. them, then maybe maybe it is. But like five ribs compared to one collarbone, sort of the, the the amount of pain that was going on, the ribs felt worse than the collarbone. Yeah, that was uh that was my twenty my twenty fourteen. Twenty fifteen, right? Is that where we are? So twenty fifteen was the year I got married at the very end of the year. And I also think in reflecting on it, it was the year that my attitude about work stopped, like changed. How so? We had that conversation early on about work as a vocation. And I stopped feeling like work was a vocation in 2015. I really felt like the work I was doing at NCCF was really meaning. It felt like a calling to me. I grew up, my father started group homes and I grew up with kids whose parents couldn't take care of them. We had 130 of them. And 2015 was a year where I was like, I just need a job. Like, so I'm just going to go ahead and I hopped over to Martha's table. We did a capital campaign. And yeah, that was when work became a job. That was like when my sort of understanding of, of labor versus owner <laughs> really changed. That was 2015. But other than that, like I was again, like just working. As I look back on, on this decade, it was for me the decade that my relationship with work and understanding work changed, maybe because of the work that I actually do around trying to understand work for myself and others. And I would say this is the, the decade that I found sort of what my purpose is in work. But if I looked at other decades, it would be a different thing. It would be a different relationship to to my work. Well, it's a good thing that this podcast is also about work because then we just talked about it. So great. That on purpose, smart I am. <laughs> yeah, that's right. As if we had planned it. 2015, this is also, I came across a number of different uh, photos in, in my highlights. It was the year I turned 40. It was the year I raced the Grand Fondo, New York, which is a hundred mile race from the George Washington Bridge up to Bear Mountain and back. Except for that other race, it was my sole race race that I actually trained for. I went to Prince Edward Island for a vacation to cross something off my mom's cool. bucket list uh, for her. 
And the thing that they don't tell you, the thing Anne of Green Gables doesn't tell you is that in certain places of uh, Prince Edward Island, there's a lot of mosquitoes during the summer. So it's not very pleasant. Yeah, it's beautiful, but you don't want to stop for too long. 2015 was the year that my journey in anti-racism and anti-oppression began. It was a year that we really started doing work at Fractured Atlas. And I found pictures of some of the sessions that we did together. And then uh, as it related to training and crucial conversations um, that I did that year. So it was a busy year, a lot of different things, photographic memories and proof. With Prince Edward Island, I felt the same way the first time I went to Assateague. Because you read those books, it's like, you know, Misty of or something like that. Those books about the, when you, about the horses, the wild horses on an island off the coast of Maryland. I feel like those books never mention the mosquitoes. The mosquitoes are unbearable. And the wind, it's a barrier island. I probably missed a big event that must have been maybe in 2013. I think like that spring, I took Katie and the kids camping for the first time. We went to Assateague. We went there for spring break in March. And when I, when we booked this, I have this habit of, of booking things like really like two weeks early because the weather's nice. The weather was beautiful when we reserved the camping site. You know, we reserved it for the first day the, the park is open. And then there's a snowstorm that happens like two weeks later. <laughs> so it's me and Katie camping on a barrier island on the beach with wind with Enzo might've been two years old and Cassidy might've been five. It was winter survival. So the, there's these angry, skinny, hungry horses from the winter they're wild <laughs> running running around the campsite and i'm trying to i'm trying to pitch the tent and i'm trying to i'm like trying to figure out what's going on as i'm putting the stakes down enzo's so little he doesn't know he's running behind me pulling the stakes up <laughs> and the wind's blowing so like at one point that like you know and it was like actually really serious wind it's like maybe you know 20 or 30 miles an hour wind like we should not have been out there and the tent falls over and like smacks me so hard in the face. I thought it broke my nose. But mosquitoes, islands, uh, it was so bad that my dad, who doesn't worry about anything, he was at his girlfriend's house. She happened to live like 15, 20 minutes away. I didn't have cell phone service, but apparently he drove around the island looking for us because he was worried. <laughs> he said he was like outside yelling my name into the, into the wind. <laughs> <laughs> I have this image of my father standing at the beach, like like Ahab, you know, like yelling. Like he did. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's a flashback to 2013 with islands and mosquitoes. Oh, what a trip! Yeah. So where are we? 2016. Dun dun dun. <laughs> the schism. <laughs> that's when I started working with you. Yeah, seriously, a highlight of a decade getting to work with you. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, that was that was the highlight for that year. Low lights. I stopped playing basketball pretty much that year. That was when I started traveling too much to really be in a league. That was also the year that the election happened, and I talked a lot about moving to Belize. Every other conversation, you're mentioning Belize and looking into Belize. Oh, yeah. No, I had like a lease ready to sign in my email. <laughs> it's ready to go. <laughs> let's, let's really test out this remote work policy for Extra Atlas. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would have been too soon. Uh, yeah, too soon. All right, 2016, let's see. That was the year that I studied for and passed my senior professional in HR exam. Awesome. Yeah, that was crap ton of work, a lot of studying. I don't have a background, like formal background in HR. So it was like three months nonstop of studying for that. Passed on the first try. So very, very thankful for that. That was also intertwined with our entire office renovation. 
Mm-hmm. I remember studying for the, that exam in different stages of prep for renovation, completely gutted, and then in, in our new space. So yeah, that was 2016 in photos. So I think your, front, your year is pretty front-loaded because I don't remember 80s office. Yeah. I don't remember office number one. Yeah, that was um, Mar- March to May was, was that part because our colleague Pallavi had to work from a picnic table in the middle of our... <laughs> we had gray cubicles, except we took out some in the middle of the office and built a backyard with a picnic table, an umbrella, and synthetic turf, and like a fence around there, like a backyard fence, and pink flamingos, and a garden gnome. And, and we were all out of desks by the time Pallavi started, so she had to work from the picnic table. Knowing Pallavi, that's really priceless. I think Pallavi was excited that we didn't have that in the new office. A couple months sitting on a picnic table bench, not the most comfortable. Yeah. And I also miss your exam because I remember you. That must have been toward the beginning of the year, too. Yeah. I think that was April or May is when I took that. I have to tell you, before I met you, I didn't know HR was like an actual profession. Like I didn't know that people studied for things. I'd never met someone who actually knew what they were doing. Yeah, I just didn't know. Like you changed my mind about it. Like there are, there are actually skilled professionals in HR. There should be more of them. There should be more of them. Do you think you'd ever go to law school? I thought I would go to law school early in this decade, actually. I was really considering going to law school. And then I thought, why don't I just take all of the books that my friends who went to law school studied before they passed the bar and then just see if I can pass the bar without going to law school? New York's one of the few states you can do that. I got that far. And then I thought, do I really want to spend all that time studying for the bar exam or maybe, and then that's where I serve HR stuff. And I thought this is actually sort of the law that I get really interested in. Yeah, I don't know. I've got a lot of things on my my wish list for for life. Yeah. Law, law school is, is tumbling down toward the bottom. <laughs> All right. So that was 2016. We got three more years. 2017. What's on your list? Man, I only had one thing. Artist campaign school. Yeah, that was a great one. That's a great highlight. That's all I had. It's one of the examples I go to when I highlight the diversity of teams and thought and backgrounds and what can happen when that actually happens. Artist campaign school is the perfect example. Yeah. It's like you knew the people, you heard what people were saying, it was the right moment and and you just did it. It was, you know, we didn't have a strategic plan for that. Yeah, exactly. MVP and it was terrific. And then yeah. someone came out of that, ran for office and got elected. Yeah, yeah. I run I I talk about it on that like how nonprofits and their boards need to be nimble. You know, what all I did and give like the staff the flexibility to do what they want to do. I just didn't hire someone that year. And did the program. Like I made the sacrifice that we were just going to pick up a little bit more workload because the program needed to happen. Like not to spend forever and ever planning and fundraising and just like, just do it. Yeah. That was, that was a highlight for that year because I'd never, and again, I'd never worked someplace where I had the flexibility to be able to do something like that. Every place else I'd work would have made that so complicated. And I was like, let's just do it. Let's just hire, let's bring in a consultant. Let's just do it. So yeah, that was, that was my highlight. My 2017 I think the highlight is it was the year I started to slow down. I bought a camera, like an actual camera. It actually caused me to slow down in, on hikes or if I went to the beach because I was trying to get the photo. Of course, that led to a whole series on site-specific bourbon that 
was sort of an unintended consequence of having a camera. But that was also the year that I started meditating with regularity. Daily meditation and also owning a camera and noticing what's around you in the world for the highlights for 2017. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm two years behind you on the slowing down and buying a camera. I wonder if there's a correlation between camera buying and slowing down. I think there probably is. I mean, you could take a lot of really crappy photos, I guess. But to actually figure out how you want to photograph something and you have to get up earlier, you have to stay up later, you have to try different settings. There's a course that Diane Ragsdale teaches. She she created and teaches beauty and business, the aesthetic advantage. And part of it is she takes business people without arts backgrounds out into the woods and just like lets them stand there for a little while and just start to notice what's around you. And I kind of feel like she was creating that course at the same time that I got my camera and I felt like, oh yeah, right. That's sort of what that camera does. You just have to stand there and wait to see what's happening. And then if it's not sunny, you've got to take different photos because photos of the gray sky aren't that interesting unless you're Ansel Adams and you're shooting in black and white. So you, you have the new camera. Yeah, it's it's New Mexico. So I could take pictures of the landscape here and the people and like random little Katie and I were driving down the turquoise trail yesterday and stopped into Surio, which is they turned the entire town into the set for Young Guns forever ago. You know, we go into this little saloon yesterday and it's just gorgeous. You could just wander around New Mexico taking pictures of interesting things forever. And maybe that's just me because I'm not from here. I've just never been able to. I understand what as far as the eye can see means now. I didn't think I've got bad eyesight and I was like, whoa. But now I'm like, oh, wow, even my bad eyes can see (laughs) really, really far. So yeah, but slowing down. Yeah. And I never was those people who took like, who had my iPhone out taking pictures all the time anyway. I take more pictures now with the camera than I ever did with my phone. The the newest iPhone has a pretty awesome camera. I've seen professional photographers that I follow on Instagram that are posting some pretty amazing low light shots, especially. But I think it is, it's just a different thing. When you pick up a camera, you're doing something different with it than when you have your phone in your hand that also has a really good camera on it. The common phrase is, you know, the camera you use is the camera you have on you or something like that. Yeah. Of our local neighborhood coyote on my little two megapixel uh, Nokia phone the other day. Nice. I was like, oh, you can kind of see it there. So yeah, you're right. I mean, I had a camera in my hand and I used it. That seems like an Instagram feed you could do. Just photos on your Nokia. I've been thinking about posting that one because it's just like, it's a little, it just looks weird. You don't see things in such poor resolution anymore. (laughs) All right, cool. So let's see, that was 2017. So 2018, what's on the list? I moved to Albuquerque, 2018, squeeze that in the end of the year. And then Crux, like that was when Crux really crystallized in my head. And like everything that started in 2015 around like workers and ownership and tech and everything else sort of fell into one place. That was, that was my 2018. That's great. Yeah. Hamstring is seizing up. So that's why, that's why nothing to come back. Tim, I was like, Tim really didn't like that story at yeah, all. No. Oh yeah. I, um... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. Do you need the to- searing pain is, no, no, it, it'll be fine. I've got like hamstring on one side and then like I got a, a hip that might be getting too old to go running. They make new ones now that are amazing. It almost makes sense, I think, at this point to like get new hips when you're, when you stop growing at like, you know, 18 or 20. Like, they're, <laughs> like apparently the titanium ones are amazing. It's probably not medically sound advice. So if anyone is listening. There's a reason why I'm not a doctor. So how did you choose, why did you choose to go to Albuquerque? Uh, low cost of living, 300 and depending upon who you ask, 320 or 340 days of sunshine. And just the pace, 
you know, I've, I've been kind of done with the East Coast for, God, probably 10, 10 years. It was just time to go someplace else and broaden my horizons. It's a great place to live. And it's just, I mean, visually stunning. Artists hang out here because of those things, too. Like, I think the people who are ready to make the leap and who realize they can have a life outside of either coast are, this is a really good place to, to call home. Crux is two years old? Crux is two years old, yeah. Uh, time is flying. It really is. It really, really is. I think 2018 might have been the year when I kind of knew how to do my job at Fractured Atlas, too. It took that long. Well, it's not typical place where you just go through one cycle and you're like, okay, I've got it. Yeah. Which is the interesting thing, but also the thing that is exhausting. Yeah, yeah. No, so I feel like I finally, you know, by 2018, had a, a 90% understanding of, of the job. The job, we, we do so many things that just haven't been done before. <laughs> so yeah. that, but... Like the routine stuff, I kind of I, I wrap my brain around by then. I feel if you've got to 90%, that's like 5% better than I, I have at this point. Like just get above 80. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, great. You're dealing with people. I mean, <laughs> people will always keep you on your toes. That's right. Yeah. If you could just operate at like 51%, if you're dealing with people, you're you're doing well. Yeah. All right, 2018, it was the year that I was invited to serve on the faculty of both the Banff Center and the New School. Yeah, my habit of saying yes to things that sounded interesting um, has proven to be deeply rewarding and extremely exhausting because neither of those things are my full-time job and they're a lot of work when I'm doing them. So, But the, the, that was 2018. It was also the year that we officially started our shared leadership team. Oh, yeah. Officially. Yeah. Officially. Yeah. We had been doing it sort of for the previous year when Adam was on his sabbatical. So like unofficially about three years now, but that was, yeah, two years ago we started doing that. Yeah. That's been really rewarding. I should have put that down. Well, all we need, like one, that's shared leadership. Like one person puts it down. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, we don't all need to put it down. It's just like <laughs> one of us needs to remember. <laughs> We all might not be thinking that it's a great thing. You know, like <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's totally a good thing. Yeah, I was gonna put that one down oh, too. Yeah, yeah, it was on my mind. I just figured somebody else would say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I cracked myself up. Oh man, yeah, we are coming up on two years of that. Okay. We might have to do a reflection there a reflection there too. Yeah. Well, I think that's the exciting thing that we have the entire leadership team together and you're all gonna be guests at my new school class around leadership and team building. So yeah. like 2018, it's, the strings are, are coming together on that one. So yeah. both new school and share leadership, and then we'll share our pros and cons and other things with people who are interested. 2019. 2019 was the year that I officially felt like I had three full-time jobs at various points of the year. <laughs> Seems to be a theme. Yeah, yeah. Like I had, I had two with Crux and Fractured Atlas for most of the year, and then thanks to you, Tim, I crossed me off my bucket list was, which was to teach a college course. When that was in full swing, it was a, that for six weeks that was another full time job. It was a lot of just sort of karmic and intellectual, and also systems. The systems that people use to to work really matter, and that became a full time job just because I wasn't accustomed to working with the systems, and maybe they were a little clunkier than they should have been. But that was something you hooked me up with that crossed off my bucket list. I, I would love to teach more at the college level. I think it's it's something I've always wanted to do, but I think I'd be pretty good at it. Well, I'm glad that you're able to do that. I think that's, that's a really exciting thing to watch you pull together from the idea that you had. It's just an idea that you were thinking about doing and then how it developed into an actual course that people were taking. Yeah, it's the whole thing. Okay, so what's your 2019? So 2019, continuing the theme for the decade. So I lost my dad 
earlier this year. So I lost both of my parents this decade. And also on the sort of the less less grief related, fully virtual organization and closing out the decade similar to how how I started the decade with looking at how people use physical and virtual spaces to do their work and thrive. Yeah, you've done such a good job with that. It's cool hearing the arc of of everything at Fractured Atlas. You know, you might be Fractured Atlas at this point, Tim. Ooh, that's a heavy mantle. No, exactly. I'm just, you've done a lot. If you were to summarize your decade in, like, for you in one sentence, what, how would you summarize it? Probably something around, like, what it really means to live and how you can use that information to help others thrive. Mm-hmm. How do you summarize your decade? I'm just torn between, I mean, I'm still not very grown up. <laughs> I might be as grown as I'm going to get. Like, I think this was a year that I grew up as much as I'm going to grow up. Is that like, I still really prioritize fun, but I've gone from being like a wilding ruffin to being a little bit more anchored. I always think about mortality because my mom died when she was so young and I was so young. But as I approach her age, I'm thinking more, I'm probably thinking more than a healthy 38 year old should think about mortality. And it's, it's increasing all the time. But yeah, probably, probably just this is this is probably the decade I grew up. But people grow up in their 30s, I hear. Thinking about mortality allows you to recognize what being present actually means. And I think that's for for me, certainly, it's been like reflecting on mortality allows you to show up in a way that's more present and engaged and more meaningful. And I think that's probably people deal with that at different ages having realizations where that comes together. Yeah. And I guess it's less like sort of morbid mortality. I mean, I've been on my own since I was 17 years old, you know, like I've always taken care of myself, but I've also crammed a lot of fun into my life because I know how like quickly it can be gone. Sleep when you're dead. I'm like legit trying to suck every ounce of life out of, out of what I have. And for some reason, I feel like this is, this is just a decade where I got a little bit more serious maybe. You know, we'll go with Patty Pan grew up. That was probably probably what it is. Are you a person who does New Year's resolutions? I do. Are you currently making them? Yeah, they're good to ground. Yeah, I've got a couple. They're not super serious. I mean, I have a to-do list of things I'd really like to get done, but I don't make resolutions. We're recording this right before the new year. It would be the end of January before I got, oh, crap. Now I'd probably need to write something down. I mean, I don't know. I'm continuously improving. So my New Year's resolutions are, one, I'm only going to wear sweatpants two days a week. This is going to be very hard for me. (laughs) I anticipate that going quicker than a gym membership. Um, (laughs) 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 Those resolutions, that's probably not going to last through week one. And then my second is, I've never been to Europe, Tim. Where do you want to go in Europe? I want to go to Prague. I've never been. Whenever I've had the time, I've not had the money. Whenever I've had the money, I've not had the time. Because work. I'm, I'm going to go to Europe this year. Those are my, my two resolutions. But yeah, the sweatpants, I, I'm already going to fail. I haven't actually bought any pants. I don't, <laughs> I don't have any pants. Like, if, New Year's, if New Year's is really coming in a couple days and I don't go shopping, which I'm not going to do, then it's not happening. I just don't have enough pants in my world. I'll go to Prague instead. So my, my New Year's OKRs are going to be at 50% for this year. I already know it. That's a solid percentage. Yeah. Well, Lauren, I hope you have a, a restful and restorative rest of the decade and look forward to seeing what's what's next in the the years to come. Getting to work with you has been a highlight of my 
2010 decade. So very excited for the 2020s to, to roll around here too. Happy New Year, Lauren. Happy New Year, Tim. If you've enjoyed the conversation or are just feeling generous today, please consider writing a review on iTunes so that others who might be interested in the topic can join the fun too. Give it a thumbs up or five stars or phone a friend, whatever your podcasting platform of choice offers. If you didn't enjoy this chat, please tell someone about it who you don't like as much. Until next time, thanks for listening.